Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. So, I was not speaking to anyone else about what their messages will be throughout the week, so I had no idea. And I assumed everyone would make a, a theme on Sukkot, and so I was scheduled to speak at the end of the week and didn't want to have the, the fifth or sixth message on Sukkot, so I thought I perhaps should do something else. But most importantly, I prayed about what the Father wants, and I felt like the Father put on my heart to focus on Jeremiah. I think this is a little testimony of its own, because as you noticed, several messages now have been on Jeremiah, either the, the prophet Jeremiah or the, the book of Jeremiah in, in one of the chapters. So I believe that it's a confirmation of two or more witnesses that the Father is trying to speak to us with this theme that we've been given of Jeremiah 24-7, returning to him with our whole heart. So today I want to focus on Jeremiah chapter 24. It's only 10 verses, doesn't take long to read, and I want to focus more specifically on what we will see, the two bowls of figs, both the good figs and the bad figs. But first I want to introduce who Jeremiah is. Wendell did a wonderful job explaining much of it, but I just want to give a few more details. One thing I learned is that he was called to be a prophet at a very young age. In Jeremiah 1.6, he says, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I am too young. And yet Yahweh called him and said, when it's time, and I say it's time, then it's time. So he spoke for 40 years, as Wendell explained. And within those 40 years, um, he was casted out and rejected by his own brothers in the faith. And um, a lot of times he had to deal with um, persecution, death threats, and endangerment of his life. He spent most of his time of the 40 years telling the house of Judah to put away their idols, to repent, cease from their hypocrisy, and return back to Yahweh. Because of that, I believe he stepped on many toes and made a lot of enemies, and not a lot of people invited him over for dinner. I have a lot of respect for him because he reminds me of John the Baptist. He's a descendant of priesthood, but yet he's out in the wilderness shouting repent. And at times, uh, coming into this faith, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to be the only one believing this stuff and to be the bad guy in a lot of people's eyes. So I uh, really do have a lot of respect for the prophets who've done this since they were little, many of them. Just to put a, a little glimpse into what Jeremiah probably went through, Hebrews 11, verse 36 to 38 describes what many of the prophets have gone through, and I believe Jeremiah was one of them. It says, And others, including Jeremiah, experienced mocking and flogging, and further, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown, sown, cut in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. It reminds you of John the Baptist being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts on mountains and sheltering in caves, holes in the ground. So they went through a lot. And so when we read this chapter, I feel like we should also remember our brother Jeremiah and what he'd been through in order so we can get this book. Also, I also, you know, studying Jeremiah, I want to ask a, a challenging question. Are we called as an assembly and as individuals to practice being like Jeremiah in a lot of ways? I think we've all been put in a situation where we could have stood up and said, repent, 
We could have stood up to someone that was our friend or family member and said, that ain't right. Um, I don't believe we should be doing this. I think this is wrong. This is sinful. And you know that you might lose a friend. You might not get invited over anymore. You might not be able to go to their parties or whatever it is. But you stand up, even if you're alone, to stand up for righteousness because Yahweh is worthy. Also, when we do stand up for righteousness like Jeremiah did, we are shining that light, which is figurative of the Torah and the righteousness of Yahweh. And when you shine the light in the darkest areas, the darkest corners, perhaps in your circle of friends or people at work or school or whatnot, many times the, these people will hate the light and they will end up um, hating to even be around you. But again, remember Jeremiah. Moving on to Jeremiah chapter 24, I believe context is key. So let me break down real quick the context of the chapter, Jeremiah chapter 24. Israel was a whole nation with 12 tribes, as we all know. And then they fell into idol worship. Yahweh lifted his hand off of Israel, the 12 tribes, and they divided. You had then the northern house and the southern house. The northern house had 10 tribes, and they were scattered to Assyria. The focal point of what Jeremiah is doing is he's focusing on the house, the southern house, known as the house of Judah. It was primarily the uh, house of Judah, Benjamin, and Levites. And he's focusing on the southern house of Judah, which is also broken up into two again. And in this vision, you'll see that the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, is uh, broken down into good figs and bad figs. And if anybody doesn't know, a fig is uh, Middle Eastern fruit. And last night, somebody did serve a fig, and it was delicious, a, a plate of figs. It's definitely not common in our country, but check it out, look it up. You'll see what, what it is. So let's go ahead and read Jeremiah 24, verses 1 through 10. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah with the craftsmen and metalworkers from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. Yahweh showed me, behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of Yahweh. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. Then Yahweh said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? There's one thing I forgot to mention is Jeremiah shot straight and he was to the point. So you'll see it here. He says, figs, the good figs are very good and the bad ones very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Done. <laughs> I like Jeremiah. Verse 4. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, This is what Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, says. Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not uproot them. I will also give them a heart to know me, for I am Yahweh, and they will be my people, and I will be their Elohim, for they will return to me wholeheartedly with their whole heart. But... Like the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Indeed, this is what Yahweh says. So will I give up Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who live in the land of Egypt. I will make them an object of terror 
and an evil for all the kingdoms of the earth, as a disgrace and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all the places where I will scatter them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and the plague upon them until they are eliminated from the land which I gave to them and their forefathers. So, just a quick review. Southern house of Judah, southern kingdom, broken into two figs. One was already sent. Surprisingly, Jeremiah told them, it's already done and said, Yahweh wants you to go to Babylon. There's no arguing. You're, you're grounded, right? Like the parents say, you're grounded. There's no negotiating. You're going to Babylon. And the ones who are not stiff-necked went to Babylon without sword or famine or pestilence. They just went peacefully. The ones who stayed in Jerusalem were the bad figs, saying, we're staying. This is, this is where we are. Hence the stiff-necked. Jeremiah even told them, you've got to go, otherwise you will be taken by force. Either way, you're going. And sadly, the, the Yahweh, Yahweh was right, obviously, and they came with sword, famine, and pestilence and wiped out the, the bad figs and scattered them, whoever survived. While I was reading this chapter, though, I noticed this, this uh, language that you see with the two is very similar to a lot of other parts of the Bible. So again, remember, bad figs are scattered, taken out with sword, famine, and pestilence. He's not talking about bringing them back or watching over them, having his eyes on them. But with the good figs, he says they're more excellent, and Yah will watch over them, and he will renew their hearts and bring them back to the land. So let's compare other things that are like that, the two bowls of figs. First thing that came to mind is the wheat and the tares found in Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30. It says, Yeshua presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed the tares, the weeds among the wheat, and left. And when the wheat sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also came, evident. And the slaves of the landowners came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does this have tares or weeds? And the master said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. While you are gathering up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And all the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the weeds and bind them up into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So again, I see that the wheat and the tares are very similar to the good and the bad figs. One's being thrown into destruction, the sword, and not being talked about coming back, eternal death. And then the good figs, um, even though you know, they have to go through Babylon, are said to be put into the barn as a blessing, his kingdom. I also learned this uh, a while back. When you watch... Uh, Wheat grow when it's uh, ripe and ready. Wheat will actually, uh, the top will be too heavy and it'll bow its head. That's when you know it's about time to harvest. And I think that's a pretty cool, the sign of a soft heart that's bending his head, worshiping, saying, I'm not worthy. The proud, like the, like the, the weeds or the tares, they shoot straight up and never bow. They're proud. Their heart is proud. And they keep their heads up high. And I believe that's a good sign also of the good and the bad figs. Another, another example would be the ten virgins. That would be in Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lambs, they did not take extra oil with them. But the prudent ones took oil and flasks with their lamps. Now while the groom was delaying, they all became drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there finally was a shout. Behold, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish virgins said to the prudent ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. However, the prudent ones answered, No, there must certainly would not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Again, very similar to Sukkot, the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Yet later, the other virgins who were foolish came, saying, Master, Master, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert, because you do not know the day nor the hour. So once again, you see that one is prepared, and I you know, got to do a study with the oil and the light, and it's all again going back to righteousness, keeping Torah, being obedient, living a righteous life, practicing repentance, as opposed to the other ones that are sleeping and not prepared and not showing signs of good fruit. And also that goes back to the figs. I saw also this uh, correlation with Genesis 3.15. And I will make enemies of you and the woman, he's speaking to the serpent, of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. But you also see that there's this constant correlation or comparison of who's a descendant of the serpent and who's a descendant of the woman. And I believe that the descendants of the woman obviously is all man, but spiritually speaking... It's the righteous. They come through the promise. And uh, the ones who are descendants of the serpent are not other snakes, right? It's the wicked. Yeshua looked at the Pharisees and said, You brood of vipers. Your father is the devil. Not all Pharisees are bad, by the way, but the ones he was speaking to at that time, he's using that same language. You're either of a good fig or a bad fig, but you need to know them by their fruit. You guys like this so far? Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, also, another comparison would be the lambs and the goats. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, <clears throat> again, tabernacles, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he would put the sheep on his right, but he put, put the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed on my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Sorry. <laughs> when Yeshua speaks, he gives me all like. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, sorry, I missed my spot there. When I was a stranger, you invited me, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Master, when did we see you hungry, 
and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did for the little of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did to me. But then he also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for you for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer. Master, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you do not do it for me either. These will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, the same correlation. And I think uh, Yeshua is speaking very boldly because he's, it's not like he just hates people just to hate them. He's trying to get people aware of the dangers of the wrath of Elohim. If you're not under his covering, under his blood, and if you're one of the bad figs, there's not much for you to look forward to but the sword, famine, and pestilence, and of course, eternal death. As I was saying earlier, I might have skipped this, but remember when Yeshua was dividing the sheep from the goats, he put the sheep on his right, and he put the goats on his left. It wasn't just like randomly just separating any side. When we study scripture, the right hand represents blessing. The left hand represents curse and judgment. Hence why when, uh, what was it, Jacob, correct, Jacob was blessing, he crossed his arms. Because one represented blessing, one was not the blessing. And finally, obviously, we have Deuteronomy that says, I bring you blessings and curses, the right hand and the left. Choose this day who you serve. Some of you may be asking, well, some days I feel like a bad fig. Some days I feel like a good fig. So is it just the luck of the draw and one day he'll come back? Matthew seven seventeen to 20 really breaks it down. Because I think Yeshua saw many people who are bad figs, constantly polishing themselves, saying, I'm a good fig, I'm a good man. Yeshua calls them out. He says in Matthew 7, verse 17 to 20, So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. I think too many times uh, we can fool ourselves, which is scary. We can lie to ourselves. We can tell ourselves that we're, we're pretty good people because we compare ourselves to horrendous people like Hitler or whatever. And so when you do that, you obviously feel like a saint. But Scripture says don't compare yourself to Hitler. He says 
look at the law. And if you look at the law, it says that you have sinned and that you'll need atonement. And then it says repent and practice righteousness, hence bearing good fruit. And also a sign that you have a good heart. And that's how you know you're one of the good figs. You're convicted by sin. You hate sin. You don't like to practice sin. You, you will catch yourself sinning once in a while, right? But you want to get better at not sinning. And you feel convicted whenever you fall into it. You fall on your knees and pray for the Father to give you the heart to repent. These are signs and fruits that you're a good tree that wants to produce good fruit. I've met many people that tried to justify their bad fruit and tell them, oh, I grew up in a bad life. I had a broken home and this is just who I am. You know, Yahweh understands. And they justify their sins. They justify their actions. And I think that's a scary place to be. And I think the Father is giving us his Torah, his law, to show us this is, our, this is the standards, instructions, what I expect from you if you're going to be one of my uh, children. So, with all those, uh, you know, comparisons, I, want, I had four main points to give you guys. And then I'll conclude. The first point I want to make is don't take a season of correction or molding, or I like to say forging in the fire, like you see with swords. Don't take that as a sign that Yahweh hates you or that he's forgotten about you. If he's taking you to Babylon like he did with the good figs, it's because he wants you to be um, molded and shaped and have a heart softened so you can return to him with your whole heart. It says here uh, to, to turn to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, because it, it's about correction. I think too many times as Americans, we're, we're very proud, including myself, and correction hurts. But just know, if Yahweh's correcting you and taking you through a season of correction, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the master, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the master disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for dis discipline that you have to endure. Elohim is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which I have participated, then you are of illegitimate children and not sons. See the two sides. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit, the good fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There have been plenty of times I got my butt whooped as a kid, and at the very first moment I thought, how could they? How dare they? And then after, you know, the, the soreness wears off, and I came to think about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I deserved it. And then years later, I'm like, man, I am so glad they disciplined me. I'm so glad they put me in timeout or whatever when it was necessary because it molded me. That was my little Babylon, right? 
molded me to uh, come to a place of repentance, to respect authority, to respect my mother and father, to, re- to realize there's consequences for my um, breaking of my parents' commandments, right? I use analogy also. I love analogies. Uh, I don't know where I saw this or heard it, but some of you guys play sports. Sometimes you'll, you'll see, like, a football coach going through football practice with his players. And, you know, he's blowing the whistle and just chewing out this one kid. I mean, yelling at him every play, telling him, get back, do it again, run it again, run the play over and over. And the kid's getting teary-eyed. He doesn't know why the coach is so hard on him. And there's these other players he never yells at. He showed up late. He left early. He's got a bad attitude. Coach never yells at him. So he goes home. He's eating dinner with his parents. They asked him how practice was, and he just lets it all out. He says, I, don't, I think the coach hates me. <laughs> uh, he's always chewing me out. He's always blowing the whistle. He's always having me try to be perfect, and I don't get it. And I, I believe the parents could say, well, son, he only has so much time per day in practice. And if he's taking his time to correct you, to reprove you, it's because he sees something in you. He knows he can win games with you. Not just because of your physical skills, because of your heart. He sees your heart. Meanwhile, the kid who showed up late, left early, bad attitude, tries half the effort. He's like, I'm not going to waste my time with him. He's my second or third stringer. He's, I'm going to cut him in two weeks. The kid suddenly gets it. Coach is going hard on me because he loves me, right? He, he, he sees potential in me. So if you guys ever get corrected, especially the younger brothers and sisters here, and it seems like you're going through a season where you're just getting chewed out left and right, just know that Yahweh loves you, and He sees something in you, and He's making sure you're put in the right place so that you're getting molded, and that you're going to grow up to be a, a, a Yahweh-fearing man or woman, and that correction is a sign of love. I'm tying that back to the figs. The ones who were not stiff-necked went to Babylon. They heard that promise from Jeremiah, and they said, we're going to go through our time out, our butt whooping, going to Babylon, but we're going to come back. Yahweh says he's watching over us. They received that correction willingly. Meanwhile, the second, the bad figs, they thought they can go toe-to-toe with Yahweh. It didn't go so well. Point number two. Remember that both figs were believers. This is one of my biggest aha moments when reading chapter 24 of Jeremiah. Both the bit, uh, bowls of figs were believers. Too many times I would read the commentary and some notes on uh, chapter 24, and I thought, yeah, yeah, uh, it seems like a lot of people want to make this about the believers versus the atheists, the conservatives versus the liberals, the uh, good old American Christian versus some hardcore terrorist or something. Sadly, uh, those are all incorrect. Both the bowls were believers. They're from the house of Judah. This message was for us. My wife Riley pointed a really good point out, and she said, make sure, if you can, throw this in there because it really helped her also, and I hope it blesses you. The Bible was written to believers. All that correction we see is for us. The atheist is not reading the Bible, right? The non-believers So when we see something in here, we take it to ourselves and say, how can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? And how do I realize that I could be a bad fig? Going to Shabbat every week and um, eating clean is great, 
But if your heart is far from Yahweh, Monday through Friday, and Monday through Friday you're practicing iniquities, Yahweh knows. So, you should know them by their fruits, and so also check yourself and be honest with yourself. Don't just go to Shabbat, shake hands, and look the part, but then Monday through Friday, you're as worldly as everyone else. I thought this was cool that Jeremiah, the, the theme is literally 24-7. He wants your whole heart 24-7. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you should be worshiping Yahweh, praying, and asking Him for guidance, keeping His Torah, meditating on His Word. It's not just a Shabbat thing. It's not just for this one week of uh, Sukkot, Tabernacles. The day after Tabernacles, we should be just as zealous and focused on the Scriptures and His Word. I have here to uh, John three nineteen to 21 to tie all that together. I sometimes write notes, and I'm thinking, that'll be good right there. Put that in there. Later on, I go, and I'm like, why did I put that there? So let's find out. John 3, 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in Elohim. We come into Shabbat, we do the feasts. Are you eager to check the clock? Are you looking at your watch? Are you hungry to go home and go back to your ways? Or are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying keeping Torah? These are signs of whether or not your heart has been circumcised, your heart has been softened. And uh, if, you're, if, if, if all of this is like pulling teeth to you, then pray for the Father to change your heart. We should, we should find it pleasant to obey the Father. Point number three. Are we, as believers, creating the next generation of good fruit? Are we creating the next Chuck, the next Voy, the next Jose, Ferris, and Joanne? They, they can't be here forever, and I just hope that we are creating, we are good representatives of good figs, so that the children and everyone around us is being raised up to become just like them, because they're, they're wonderful people, and I hope that we raise them up to become good figs also, to, to serve, to teach, to be worship leaders, to host Shabbat, or whatever it is. And what are your gifts when it comes to that? If you have a gift, whether it's singing, speaking, um, maybe you're just really good at hosting a party at your house, whatever it is, you're a social butterfly, you're always giving you that gift for a reason. Are you using it for the world? For your own gain, are you doing it for the kingdom? Yahweh, Yeshua speaks in uh, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30 about your talents. Are you using your talents to multiply them? Your talents are used to bring people to the truth? Or are your talents being buried underground saying, ah, Yahweh will do it without me. He'll, he'll be fine without me. Yahweh's given you a talent. He's made you a good fig. Let's be good stewards of that. And finally, my fourth point, and then I'll conclude. Ask yourself, and I truly have been thinking a lot about you guys for my fourth point. 
if you believe you're a bad fig, if you know deep down inside uh, that you have not been obeying Yahweh, and that you know you're far from Him, and that perhaps you came here because someone made you come, or maybe you came here just to impress someone, whatever it is, and you know that this religion or this faith is nothing to do with you, and you know that according to the Jeremiah 24 vision, you definitely would fall into the bad figs, then ask yourself, is it too late? Am I a bad fig forever? The answer is no. I don't think there's coincidences why you're here, why you're sitting here listening to this message, and that perhaps Yahweh's calling you, and that's a sign of love. Ask Yahweh for a new heart. Confess that you're a sinner, and get rid of your idols. Whatever that idol may be, it's not just carved images like Balaam. It could be TikTok, it could be drugs, it could be certain friends and relationships. One of my biggest idols was I was a people pleaser before I knew Yahweh, and I just didn't want to upset anybody. And I always just hung out with worldly people Monday through Friday before church on Sunday, as they say. And so I was a hypocrite. I was one person on the week, and on, on Sunday back then as a Christian, I was a different person. But Yahweh's like, you're not fooling me. I see your idols, and it's time to repent. And he gave me a new heart. And I was able to come out of that and start to become a good fig. And lastly, uh, there's one more point here. We are currently living in a Babylonian system. I know that we love this country. We love the state of Texas. And there's a lot of great stuff here. And we're living a lot better lives than many other believers in, say, other countries. But in the end, uh, when it was time to return to the land, a lot of Jews wanted to stay in Babylon. I mean, a lot of Israelites wanted to stay in Egypt, right? There are the times when we can, we can enjoy our country and be grateful, but let's not idolize it so when it's time to leave, we don't hang on or look back. Remember, this is not home. This is a temporary place. And that's why we do the Sukkot, one of the reasons we do Sukkot, to practice getting out. When Yeshua says, I'm gathering my people, get ready to go to the permanent home, the promised land. Our identity... As uh, Paul would say, I was born as a Roman. I use those benefits when I can, but I don't go around boasting about being a Roman citizen. His identity was in Messiah. That's our identity. So to conclude, and if anybody... Yeah, good timing. Look at that. To conclude, uh, just meditate on Jeremiah 24. Read it, just 10 verses. And ask yourself, am I needing to return? Ask yourself, do I enjoy to rebel and sin, and why? Perhaps you need a new heart. Yahweh will call you in, into Babylon for a season and take it as a sign of correction, whatever that may be. And let's have the spirit of Jeremiah, when we are good figs, to good, be good witnesses and shed the light to others so that those figs can become good figs also. The, two days ago, there was a worship song, and it spoke to me. It said something along the lines of, like a mighty storm, like a rushing wind, come have your way in me. And I think that when Yahweh does put you through that Babylonian system, it's like a storm. It's like a mighty wind. But we, we embrace it because he knows he's doing a work in us. And as mothers know here and some fathers that were there <laughs> to witness it, uh, the first birth is a chaotic mess, right? I'm getting a couple nods. Okay, I wasn't there. I haven't seen one yet, but one day I will. And that first birth is a beautiful thing, and it's necessary, but uh, it is chaotic, it is scary. Just also the second birth, 
the one where you ask for a new heart, get ready for your world to shake. Get ready for the enemy to come. Get ready for them to try to drag you back into the darkness. But if you're being called, then embrace the storm, and Yahweh will give you a new heart. Thank you.